0: Another episode of Justin the Food Entrepreneurs Show. I'm Justin Bizarro. I'm your host. That's B-I-double-Z-A-double-R-O. For anyone who's out there, you can find us on Instagram at Justin Bizarro or at Justin the Food Entrepreneurs. You can DM us there if you have questions for the future audience. I get a lot of those in. I will ask those questions as it is appropriate for the guests that we have on the show. You can also DM us if you're a restaurant or a food entrepreneur or have a consumer packaged good and you would like to be on the show. Again, I appreciate that. Also, for the audience across the world, we are in 140 countries. Okay. There's less than 200 countries in the world, just so everyone knows. So it's been hard work. We've done this over five years now, and we are in 140 countries, which is really cool. I do, I never thought it would grow this way. I never realized how many food entrepreneurs in the world were going to listen in. That is our main audience, but we do have consumers also, guys, about 30%. But the main audience that's on here, just so everyone knows, is food entrepreneurs across the world. And just to anchor this, and I know I say this a lot, there are more food entrepreneurs in the world than any other profession. Okay? Even in countries that don't have freedom, in liberty, and dealing with things humanitarily properly, there's still markets, they're still selling things, they're still bartering in some countries this is all entrepreneurial endeavors and they all require food in there people need to eat humans need to eat it's part of the thing we need health we need nutrition so when we're thinking about food and we're thinking about the world around us we need to support our food entrepreneurs they are making a difference and I'm including farmers in that difference okay so that being said you can also find us on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts or any of the other shows we do. You just type in my last name, B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O, and you will find those shows as well. So I'm gonna jump right into today's episode. I have a very cool guest. Him and I have been talking about Motown and the Jackson Five and Michael Jackson probably for about a half hour now, which is really <laughs> cool. We're like we're totally connected with music and, and the appreciation of it, especially Motown. So with that being said, I have Kendall Duffy from Deep Sea Vegan out of Nashville, Tennessee. How are you doing today, Kendall?
1: Good morning, Justin. I am doing absolutely fantastic. And how are you this morning?
0: I'm doing really well. I'm I'm doing well. I, I'm alive. Uh, life is good. God blessed. And uh, I'm blessed in a lot of ways and have a good relationship with God. So um, I believe that uh, life is better that way. How about you? How are you doing?
1: You know, Justin, it's funny, like, you know, you and I have just spoken for the first time, I guess, in, in 20 minutes ago, we, we connected, but we connected via Instagram. But just from these initial 20 minutes before we started this recorded section of the podcast, um, we are definitely kindred spirits. Um, I also believe that having God in your life is absolutely paramount to any and everything. And then as you touched on, um, our love for Motown um, the Jackson family, Michael Jackson, um, and just other things as well. Um, just kind of align us in a very unique uh, way, which, uh, I think is just so phenomenal.
0: Yeah. And the entrepreneurial ingenuity of Barry Gordy, or well, even Joseph Jackson, the father, and a lot of ways of getting the Jacksons out there. I think, um, there's just so many, we see a lot of that in music. There is a lot of entrepreneurial, uh, ingenuity that goes on, um, in the world, I I think, and not maybe not as much as that used to, but I think there are a lot of entrepreneurs out there that come up in that space. So, let's talk about your story, Kendall. Let's go all the way back to baby Kendall. Where where did you grow up? <laughs> how did you grow up, and how did you end up becoming a food entrepreneur? If Mike is yours. Take as much time as you want.
1: Well, Justin, uh, so I was born in Moline, Illinois, which uh, is referred to as the Quad Cities um, and born to, um, my parents, my mother was a, uh, a chef and, um, didn't know my father too well. They were married. Um, and then as I got probably in my toddler years, two, three, uh, they separated, divorced. And I never really knew t- too much more about my father, but my mother was definitely the staple, uh, that raised us. She had to raise six kids by herself. Um, so grew up in, uh, uh born in Illinois, Moline, grew up in Denver, Colorado, and currently reside uh, in Nashville, Tennessee.
0: I love this. So let's talk about your journey a little bit from how did you end up in Nashville?
1: So Nashville is an interesting story, Justin. Um, so my mother, as I mentioned, was a chef cook. She was also a musician. Um I actually got both of those talents and skills from my mother. I'm, I'm a musician and a chef. And so uh, on the musician side of things, we grew up singing in church with my mother. She played for different churches uh, growing up. And so we formed a gospel group um, in the uh, early uh, 80s and uh, early to mid 80s. And um, so as we kind of progressed in that journey, um, we eventually got to a place where we felt like we needed to move to a city where it would put us in an environment to be um, in the music industry. I've I've always been a person that believes that environment is very conducive to success. Whatever it is you want to do, uh, you have to be in the right environment. Uh, Well, not have to be, but I think it's very important to be in the the right environment to help you to uh, nurture uh, that particular gift. Um, And so we decided that Nashville would be a great place, especially for the gospel music industry. And so we... uh, packed up and moved. Um, at that time, my mother had gotten ill. And um, and I'll go back to this because this is how I got into the cooking thing, but I'll, I'll, I'll put a pin in that for now. But she had gotten ill, passed away as we were literally packing up to move to Nashville. She was supposed to to come to Nashville to resume um, some care. She was diagnosed with cancer and she was, was going to resume her care uh, here a, in Nashville at Vanderbilt University. And so in the process of us moving cross country to pursue our music careers we lose our rock our foundation our mother and so we we in we nashville um and that's how we got here
0: it's crazy because nashville's not quite probably what it was then as it is now and even in the music scene how much it's it's blown up and how much and it's always been diverse in its music but it's just crazy what's going on there now uh the commercialization that's right that's right the one of the things so explain to me let's go back to the chef thing explain to me how you ended up you're a music person you love music as we discussed beforehand I mean we could have talked for hours about music and Motown and and stuff like that so you're obviously a huge I won't call it a fanatic because you're an expert you have experience in it as well you've had exposure to it you've been educated in it so I think that there's a rock there so I would call you an expert Talk to me about how you, the music, and then how you end up as a chef also.
1: Sure. Well, as, as I mentioned, uh, Justin, my mother was a musician and a chef. So my mother was a country girl from Mississippi, Belmont, Mississippi, and she learned how to cook just from being a country girl and didn't have the audacity to go get a culinary degree from Western Kentucky University. So here's a girl that just, can just cook her butt off, and then goes and gets a degree in culinary, a culinary degree, culinary arts, and became a chef. And um, so, as I'm, you know, developing my skills as a musician, after my mother um, started playing trombone, started playing keyboard, started arranging music, taking theory classes, taking arrangement classes, and really kind of moving up in that in that uh, in that realm as a young musician, um, again following that in my mother's footsteps my mother used to always drill into me. And, and this is something that you mentioned on the front end of this podcast. My mother said, Kendall, you're a very talented musician. You're a very focused young man. To be a young dude, you're very focused. He said, let me tell you something. Learn how to cook. You will always have a job. And you mentioned about just the, the number the number of entrepreneurs and how many of those are strictly in the food and beverage sector, my mother always drilled into me, learn how to cook and you'll always have a job. And then she would also say, and if you do it very well, you'll stick out amongst the peers in that industry. And so as a young child, my mom would have me in the kitchen. I used to hate this as, as a boy, you know, in the kitchen learning how to cook. And I'd be like, mom, I, I'm not trying to do this. And she'd be like, you have, you pick up things so quickly And she said, I see it in you. You have it in you. And I would pick up things quickly, but I just never had an interest in it. And so the more she kind of poured into me and just drilled into me, the more I started to actually like it. And so by the time I was about 15, let me just backtrack a little bit. The early part of our upbringing, from about 7 to about 12, 12, 13-ish, was extremely rocky in terms of we were very, very poor. We had extreme bouts of homelessness, and I mean extreme. We we lived in shelter homes. We lived in uh, projects where we had no electricity, no running water. We'd have to borrow water from people blocks away in in, uh, empty milk jugs, take them back, and this is a true story. And this was for a number of years in my, in my early, like, like 6, 7, to about 12, 13-ish, when things kind of got a little more stable for us. Um, I'll put a pin in that. But back to what I was saying. So my mother started teaching me how to cook. By the time I was about 14, 15, I was so savvy in the kitchen. Uh, my mother, all she ever did for a living was, was played as a musician for, for major churches and worked in kitchens as a chef. So it got to the point where my mom was a, a well-sought-after chef uh, in Denver, and when she would get jobs, she would tell them that one of her requirements was to have her son, me, as her sous chef, And because she just trusted me after this time of, of working on her. And so I would go in these restaurants, I'd be her sous chef, and I would just, she would pretty much give me a little assignment, do this, do that, make this, make this, whatever, and I would do it, and it, would, it was just second nature, and then um, as I got into my you know, late teens, 17, 18, um, I was pretty much her right-hand man any and everywhere she would go in the kitchens. And, um, and it, it segued into when we moved to Nashville in 94 from Denver to pursue our ambition in the music industry. Well, of course, we, we didn't have anything really set up. We just we, we wanted to be in this environment. My first job, Justin, when I touched down in Nashville, I was hired as the bakery chef for Vanderbilt University. And the way that happened was I walked into the kitchen. and we, we knew we needed jobs, my twin brother and my sister. My twin brother, Kelvis Clyde, who runs Deep Sea Vegan with me, and my sister, Michelle, who also runs Deep sea Vegan with me, the three of us. We moved here pretty much with, with no real solid plan, but I walked, because I knew I could cook very well, walked in and to Vanderbilt University, met with the kitchen manager. He basically said to me, um, you know, I, I didn't really have a uh, resume outside of just all the, the kitchen I worked in with my mother. So um, he said, you know, he introduced me to the, the lady in the kitchen who was um, one of the cooks or one of the bakers and told her to show me around the kitchen and basically asked me to make a basic chocolate cake. So he showed me where everything was, the, the lady kind of walked me around. He said, I'll be back in a couple of hours you know, um, just kind of want to see how savvy you are, how independent you are. So she showed me around, the lady that he introduced me to in the kitchen, uh, how, how to get, you know, around the kitchen, ovens, and blah, blah, blah. Made this basic, just a basic chocolate cake frosting everything from scratch now, you know, flour, egg, sugar kind of thing. And he came back about an hour later and she had already cut into the cake and was kind of like nodding her head like, oh, my God. And so he took a bite and he was like, when can you start? It's a true story. And that's how I started there uh, in that kitchen as a bakery chef. And uh, the thing is, though, is that uh, coming from Denver to Nashville, one thing we did not understand was a thing called humidity. (laughs) And so the southern humidity was something that was just insane. And so working in that kitchen, and this was like in the spring going into the summer,
0: I mean, from Denver,
1: where it's dry, yeah, no humidity, (laughs)
0: yeah,
1: right. And so. Um, I knew I could not continue working in that humidity in a a place where I got ovens going all day and and range tops going all day. And so um, I quickly decided to figure out something else, but that was my first job. And then I actually started a small little cookie business um, shortly thereafter where I was selling cookies. Um, So so I was trying to work for an insurance company and in doing so, they'd have these weekly... um, or monthly, rather, uh, potlucks. So I'd always bring little things, including cookies. And so people are like, "Who made these cookies?" "Oh, the the new guy from Denver. He made these cookies. You made these cookies?" I'm like, "Yeah." And so people started saying, "Can I order something for my family union and this and that?" So next thing you know, I'm getting all these orders. This is the '90s. So in the '90s, before we had like you know a lot of technology, so we were still using pagers and things like that. And so people would 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 page me, and I'd call them back and say, "Hey, can I get two dozen of blah blah blah?" So I started making these handwritten order sheets. I went and, and bought this little stamp that said Duffy's Mad Dozens. My company's called Duffy's Mad Dozens. So I stamped these little these little brown paper bags.
0: Hello.
1: And my sister, my sister Michelle and I, <laughs> my sister Michelle and I were roommates at the time. And so we had an apartment building in Antioch, a suburb of Nashville. And I would go out and I'd buy these 25 pound bags of sugar, 25 pound bags of flour. I had all this stuff in the corner of our apartment. I was literally running this little machine. I would come home from my job at the insurance company and I would be filling orders till like two, three, four in the morning and put these orders together, put them in these little plastic zip bags, put them in these bags, and, and then check them off my little handwritten list. And then the next day I would just deliver, right? And so in between my working at the insurance company, I was making cookies. And so after about four or five months of doing this, it was a nice little side hustle. But doing it in that capacity, you know, um, was overwhelming for me as a one-man show, as you can imagine. And so, I just got overwhelmed. Um, even though the little side money was great, um, so I started to kind of exit out of the out of that business. And what was so funny, Justin, was now again, remember this is like late '90s, so people were using pagers and you know, um, computer stuff was just really kind of you know, kind of really becoming what it was. And so everything was really antiquated is what I'm, what I'm getting at. So people were paging me. Um, and it's so funny. you know. They were paging me like I'm a drug dealer. Like, can, can you drop off two bags of that good stuff? Talking about the cookies now. you know. And it was like, and I literally had to tell people I'm getting out of the game. And I know that sounds so funny because it's like, we're talking about cookies here, Justin. Okay. Well, I'm like, hey, I'm out of the game. I'm not doing this no more. And they're like, what do you mean you're not doing this no more? I need them cookies. I'm like, look, I can't do this no more. So it's really funny, like, like you know, my twin brother and I, we have a joke about this because it just sounds like a drug story when you tell it without the context, but people were literally, like, wanting me to stay in the game, and I just couldn't do it, so I had to abandon that until COVID, which we'll get to this later, which is when DT Vegan burst out of my love for being a scuba diver and being a chef, but of course, in between that time, we developed our music career, so... I'll put a pin there, you can get
0: to your next question. <laughs> yeah, let's um let's talk about um gosh, I don't even know. Let's go back to the childhood thing because what did growing up with that hardship you talked about going from home to uh, home to home or and being homeless and trying to get water, what did that time period of your life instill in you? I mean you obviously brought it up, you it's part of the conversation, so it obviously it made you who you are, no doubt. But it's a time; it's one of those times of hardship that I feel like defines our success in life. So, talk to me a little bit about that. There were—is there only three of you siblings? Your twin brother and your sister at that time.
1: Well, yeah. So there's actually six of us total, and okay, and similar you to go. your similar to your story, the older siblings are about 12, 11 to twelve years gap. So just like how you mentioned, your brothers were like you know almost adults when you were a kid. So the first three sets of kids, my mother was married and divorced twice. Her first marriage, she had three kids, which is my eldest brother, Herb, my sister, Cynthia, and my sister, Lenny. So they, um, you know, when she divorced their father and married my father, they were like 11, 12, 13-ish. They're, they're, they're like back to back. But you know, there's about an 11-12 year, 11, 12 year gap. So by the time the Duffy three, my sister, Michelle, and my twin brother were five, six, you know, they were, you know, going into their twenties and, you know, 18, 19, 20, and so they were moving out. So while we were all a close family, it was just the three of us during those times because they were all, you know, going into early adulthood, if you will. So um, but what that did for me, Justin, going through that period of life, a couple of things. Um first of all, it, it bonded the three of us, my twin brother and my sister in a very unique way because I believe that when you grow up that way, first of all, you don't really always know that you're poor when poor is around you. And my mom always taught us that regardless of what we were going through, that God had a plan for our life, which she was right about that, and that to never allow anyone to speak down on us or speak into our future based on our current situation. And so to this day, I'll always tell people, um, your today is not your tomorrow. Meaning regardless of where you're going through right now, what you're going through right now, where you are right now, that is not indicative or reflective of your future. Only God controls that. No man controls that. No man can speak into that. So as children, it bonded us because we were so close. I mean, we are sitting around. So my sister Michelle is just a year and four months older than my twin brother and I. So we're all right there in the same age group, right? So um, we were just sitting around, you know, uh, you know, playing games, making up songs, singing um until my mom would come home from restaurants because she was a chef with food and so we, we became very close but we also became very very resilient and my mom always instilled in us also that life can make you better or better and my mom being a very strong woman of faith um just never allowed us to become better she really did not allow it she just she would just speak over us and pray over us positivity um God's blessings and we just kept that mentality as we grew up. And so, um, it really just formed a unique bond that we still have to this day that cannot be broken.
0: Yeah, that's very interesting because your business partners now and in your business partners in the music venture that you talked about a little bit. Um That's right. And so I mean you obviously guys get along. I mean, I assume. I mean there's probably times that you guys butt heads. But that's normal in any family. But I would say that that bond that you had growing up is definitely what has probably led to the success that you guys have now so much later in life. So let's go to the um, scuba diving thing because I can't... I can't put it into the story because <laughs> I'm like chef, insurance salesman, restaurateurs, uh cooks. Like you grew up in that world. Where did the deep sea diving or, and you're in the middle of Nashville and you were in Denver. So there's no <laughs> oceans there. Right. Or, you know, and definitely no sea. I mean, you could do it in lakes, I guess, but talk yeah. to me a little bit about where this comes from.
1: Well, that's very interesting. Um, and it is kind of funny. Um, first of all, I'm an African-American male, and so there's another side of this where it's just not very common for African-Americans to even swim, more or less scuba dive. So I, I want to say that, because I think that's something that I always get. Uh, people always seem to be, especially within my community, uh, inquisitive, like, you do what? Are you sure you're black? I'm like, yeah, I, I scuba dive. So so here's how that happened, Justin. Um I mean, seriously, I get jokes all the time. But here's how that happened. So um, I don't know how this happened, but somehow, and and to this day, I can't can't really remember how, but I just became a great swimmer. And I know that sounds weird. What do you mean how? Like, I just remember sometimes being in some pools as a kid, um, never, ever took lessons, but just starting to swim. And, and, And that may sound weird, but I don't know. And so, um, and, and as I got older, I remember like, you know, junior high school, high school, anytime I saw a pool in the school, I'm in it. Like if, I, if our school had a pool, I'm jumping in and I'm hitting laps. And I, I've never taken lessons. I don't know if my body was just born to swim. I don't know. But anyway, I've just always been a very competent and strong, good swimmer. I don't know how it happened. I can't. I can't point back to the first time I ever got in the water, but I just know at some point, just remembering being in a pool and just taking off, right? Just taking off, like, like what? This is what we're supposed to do in the water: swim, right? So, with that being said, I always also I had a curiosity of the underwater world from watching certain shows um, and just watching clips of like like James Bond, these movies, these James Bond movies where he'd be underwater. He'd be underwater with a regulator in his mouth. And I just thought, man, that looks so cool. Um, and the other thing is that, um, funny enough, I just, I don't ever remember seeing African-Americans scuba diving. I just already remember seeing white people scuba diving. I thought, man, that looks so cool. Like, why don't we do this? You know what I mean? And so at some point, you know, I was, uh, about 11, 12 years ago, I was on a vacation uh, in a Caribbean destination. And um, most Caribbean destinations, when you go on vacation, they always have these uh, scuba diving excursions, try scuba diving, discover scuba diving, whatever. And they, they basically, um, it's for tourists, if you will. They'll they'll give you like a little one-hour uh, training. They'll put you in a swimming pool for about a half an hour, get you comfortable breathing through the regulator and just the basics but then they take you out to a really shallow part of the ocean, like a little lagoon area, if you will. And they'll kind of put you down about, you know, 20 feet of water, and for about half an hour, and and boom, boom, boom. So I did that little thing because I was just always curious. I'm I'm very comfortable in the water anyway, right? So get out there, Justin. I do the little, you know, touristy, discover scuba diving thing, and man, I got hooked. It was just like, it was just literally like like a light bulb, like. Like this is me. Like this is just this is me. And so about a year, about a year and a half later, after I did that little touristy thing, I'm like hey, you know, I want to do this for real, for real. So I, I took a I took a school diving course. I went to um I went to uh, um Dominican Republic, right, on, on my birthday, um that year, and um decided to. I, the purpose of my trip was to get scuba dive certified. So I, I went in for like a week and a half, did my courses um, and got certified. And then after that it was just like I started scuba diving for fun and then I started getting more into it, started having more questions. So I went and got um, uh, after about you know a year after my first certification I went and got advanced certification. Um, and, and the more I would learn, the more I wanted to know more. And I became more inquisitive. Then I went and got uh, nitrox certified, which is to breathe uh, uh, a blend of uh, blended gases, which is a blend of nitrox and oxygen for deeper penetration and, and longer bottom time, et cetera. Um, and then I started uh, increasing my, my dive, started diving in rivers and lakes and different oceans just to gain more experience and, um, and you know, night diving. And, and then I decided to, to do my rescue certification a couple of years ago. A few few years ago, I did did that, became a rescue diver, um, trained with the Nashville Fire Department and and did some training, got my uh, basic lifesaver certification through that rescue diver class. And so now I'm a candidate for dive master, which I'm hoping to do later this year or next year, really depending on my schedule. Um, And when I become dive master, then I'll probably get my instructor certification and then just kind of have that. But um, that's kind of been my journey. And so um, so that is a big part of how Deep Sea Vegan, the restaurant, developed. It developed out of my love for scuba diving and then, of course, obviously the food. But the way I became vegan had to do with a health issue that I had about 10 years ago, which is why I became vegan.
0: Yeah. I want to talk about that. Um, your brother, your twin brother is also a diver. Um, did he, he take is. to the waters like you did or was it, you sort of led that journey and he followed?
1: I, I led that journey. Um, he's a good swimmer and, um, I kind of poked at him, you know, cause being twins, like you always kind of do things together mostly in life. And so I poked at him a little bit and said, man, you gotta try this dude. So eventually he's like, okay, let, 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 let me try. And so, Got him certified. He's been diving, you know, a lot and loves it. Um, he didn't get bit by the bug the way I did, the, the scuba diving bug, but he does love it, um, and I'm encouraging him to do more and more of it because it's such a phenomenal world below the surface. Um, and I'm so passionate about um, understanding more about uh, how the oceans play a huge part of everything that happens on the surface, from the weather, um, and you know, coral reefs are a vital part of our sustainability on Earth. I mean, Absolutely. they provide more than more than half the oxygen that, that we breathe on Earth. What's funny is that I've, I've done a couple of uh, classes. In fact, last year I spoke to a group of uh, elementary school kids about coral reefs and scuba diving. Um, I just love educating people about things I'm learning about the ocean um, and the importance of the ocean. I've done a lot of cleanup dives where you go out and you take a big bag down to the ocean floor and you pick up debris, plastic and stuff. I've done tons of those. Um, I just love the ocean, man. I just, I just love it. And uh, you know, like I said, it's kind of a funny thing within our community as African Americans because it's just not something that we normally do. And so when I'm at the barber shop, and you know, I get all the jokes. You know, like yeah, hey, you're showing your white side. I'm like, whatever. I'm like, look, let me let me tell you. And what, what's really funny though, Justin, is that while the jokes come, it was funny because I show my videos. I have a YouTube channel of my diving. I show my videos because I have tons of i mean shark dives all kinds of stuff so i show them all the time the barbershop and everywhere i go so a couple of guys in the barbershop over the last few years have gotten so intrigued um one of the guys actually works there um and so eventually like man you know what okay all jokes aside this looks dope i want to try this and so i took them to some pools locally in nashville did some training in the pool um, met them met them down in florida and took him on an actual shallow dive. And to this day, when I go in the barbershop, that's all they talk about. Like, yo, that's the homie that took us diving. Yo, I'm telling y'all, like, this is not like a white thing. This is dope. And to me, Justin, that brings so much joy to me that I'm literally introducing people that would normally have no knowledge or interest or even opportunity to try something like this. That brings me so much joy.
0: I love it because it's, well, one, I, too, same thing with swimming. Like, I took to it as a kid. Um, no stopping me. Like, I don't know why, but I love water. I love yeah. I love surfing. I also scuba dive. I also have, you know, I was one of the classes I took in college. And, like, just stuck from when I was a kid. Like, I don't know what it is about it. And even snorkeling, if I can do that. Anything where I can be in the water or even oh, yeah. with my family, whatever it is, I am there. I don't know why. I don't I don't have a fear of the water. I don't have like the, there's never waves that were too big. You know, there's just things yeah. that that you know I was I felt safer in the water by myself than I do on a boat. I don't even know how to describe that to anyone, but everyone feels safer on a boat. That's not my I like being in the water. I like being with the the animals. I like being in the reefs. I like you know, and doing it all over the world, whether it's Thailand or the Caribbean or South America or parts of Asia, other parts of Asia, you know, or Africa, for that matter. Um, done, mm-hmm. I've done it in a lot of places. And just to see the diversity of animals below the surface, it's more than you can imagine above the surface. And so that's one of the coolest things. And I, and I just, I wanted to talk about it because I think it's just a phenomenal skill, number one. It's something that you have to really work at over time and get used to and comfortable with. And it's just, there's nothing like it that I can describe above the water. Like, it's a totally different world there, and you get a new appreciation for creation, for all of God's creatures. Uh, just and, and like you said, the coral reefs that, that bring oxygen. And they also clean the oceans. You know, there's so many functions there that we don't realize how important the water is in the oceans and what's under the water, especially how much trash and stuff is building up in our oceans, that, you know, it's really important. And also from a food standpoint, you know, without oceans, without that, that cycle, we can't grow food on land either. It's important that we right. have all this rotation. And there's a lot of things that go on in the ocean that lead to what we have today on shore. So... I think that that's just a big part of it so let's go back now to how what triggered i mean because years go by from starting a cookie business to starting a restaurant you know from one food game to the other what what brought you back to the food game how did deep sea vegan get started well actually let me go back let's pause that i'm going to anchor that Talk to me about why you became vegan. You talked about a medical thing that happened 10 years ago.
1: Sure. So, um, first of all, I just want to say it's so cool that you love the water the way that you do and that you also scuba dive. Um, I said it before, and it's just it's just more and more obvious that we are kindred spirits, you and I, um, in so many ways. But anyway, so, um, so here's the thing. Um, I was diagnosed with high cholesterol um, about... I guess now it's been about probably 12 years ago, roughly. Um, I gained a lot of weight. Um, I became vegetarian when my mother passed away just because I learned a lot about um, diseases and animals that were, was linked to certain forms of cancer. And so I kind of wanted to do some things to remedy that. And so um, just, you know, kind of, kind of minimize the, the chances and possibilities of, of, of that, Uh so, but I was eating a lot of, you know, animal byproducts, you know, I was, I was still eating fish and I was eating, you know, a lot of dairy and things like that. And so um, that was with high cholesterol. My doctor brought me in and she was like, no, Mr. Duffy, your cholesterol is just dangerously high. Um, it, it's so high that, that I have to, you know, put you on some medication or you have to go vegan. And I was like, Go vegan, what does that have to do with anything? And she was like, well, I'm going to tell you something that most doctors will probably never tell you um, because there's so much money in the pharmaceutical industry. Cholesterol only enters our body through animals or animal byproducts. Our livers produce some good cholesterol that we need, but everything that is is, uh, a health risk in our cholesterol levels comes from animals or animal byproducts exclusively. I was like, wow, you just dropped a bomb on me, doctor. And she was like, yeah, so we can write your prescription today or I'm going to need you to commit and come back in in two weeks. um, so We can do another blood test that you're going to totally eliminate animal and animal byproducts, which is vegan, out of your diet. And I was like, well, that's an easy choice for me because I don't do uh, medication. I don't do drugs. In fact, I've never in my life tried drugs. I don't drink. I never tried drinking. Just not me. I don't judge anyone that does it. Um, But I was like, that's an easy choice. I'm going to go vegan because I'm a chef. I can figure out how to make whatever I want to eat. So she's like, okay, well, that's great. Well, so went home from that doctor's appointment, Justin, and literally cleaned out my fridge and freezer, literally threw away all the stuff I had in there. Because again, when she showed me my results and and the way she looked at me in terms of my cholesterol being dangerously high, I couldn't play around. And so even within closed doors, I'm not going to go home and still eat stuff that, you know, no, I'm not that guy. I threw it all away. First thing I did, started researching, because I was so fascinated by the fact that Cholesterol only comes from animals and animal byproducts. I started researching. I was like, okay, so um, I w- I never wanted to get into like tofu and things like that. So I was like, you know, what kind of plants and and edible flowers and vegetables and you know, can I play around with to make some some comfort foods? And I I love burgers and fish and tacos and you know, stuff that everyone else likes to eat, right? And I said so. First thing I saw was there's over eighty thousand edible plants and flowers in the world over 80,000 so i started thinking i started thinking to myself tons 80,000 I, I was like why do most people eat the same dead three animals over cows pigs and chickens yep. over and I'm like there's 80,000 so
0: and the same started, vegetables uh, whether it's it's exactly. wheat corn soybeans and then broccoli cauliflower Thank carrots you. and and maybe some asparagus here Thank and there you.
1: So i started I started just going on a, a rampage of all these um Asian markets and international markets that have things in their stores that I've never seen or heard, most people probably never seen or heard of right and so I started going to these uh international stores and i would I would uh, take pictures of these of these um uh, plants and flowers and fruits and vegetables and now google them and scan them in this little app I had to see what they were and what they're good for and so I, you know, because I, because I worked as a chef, I'm very comfortable in the kitchen, extremely comfortable in the kitchen. Started bring stuff home from these stores and just experimenting, right? So literally, through trial and error, I started developing stuff like, you know, seafood items from plants, flowers, and vegetables, like fish and crab cakes and calamari and and burgers and. And I was making, you know, all kinds of desserts and and finding out the best way to substitute eggs and, and this and that. And so next thing you know, I'm inviting my brother and sister over and friends and people are like, yo, what is this? This isn't, you know, you know, burger. This isn't a fish. This isn't this cookie doesn't have milk and eggs. And this I was like, nope. And so over time, I started thinking like, man, you know, Maybe I should get back in the food and beverage industry. I don't know how because we were so busy in, in the in, in the in the entertainment industry. I was like, you know, but that's when the wheel tr- tr- started to turn uh, for the second time with food and beverage, right? And so just because I had to learn how to how to how to cook had to how to literally rethink how to survive and and but and and then back to the health issue, when I went back from my six month or uh, three month visit, sorry, cholesterol was down significantly. Went back three months later, cholesterol was normal. It's been that way ever since. So, you know, you are what you eat. You are what you eat, right? Yeah, it's so, a phenomenal. Um, yeah.
0: And I agree with that. The you know, there's a couple of issues there. One is we don't diversify our diets at all. So we we eat the same thing. So whatever we're eating is just compounding bad into our in our into our systems. Like that's the major yep. thing. I don't you know no matter what we are as humans or, or what our lifestyle is, that particular thing is, is that lack of diversity in our diets, that, in our mm. lifestyles, in our, yep. and the way we go out and eat food in the restaurants we choose and the businesses we choose and not expanding our palates, uh, trying mm-hmm. different concepts. We're just compounding problems into our, our systems. And humans like by genetically. Genetically speaking, you know, all of us come from different regions in the world, and we had thousands of years in those regions. So, you know, we need to be aware of that. But also, what what is even more important is that we used to migrate with the food. Like, we would follow it around. Like, we didn't have exposure to the same things all the time. We would eat a lot of different plants. Okay, and That's even right. back in the day, if you, if you, you think about eating animals to – Uh, Kendall's point we eat three of them like there's no diversity there guys we're getting the same thing compounded over and over and if there's anything bad in there like we're talking about the cholesterol you're just compounding that into your body okay at massive rates so you know it's no different than mercury in a fish if you eat enough fish with mercury in it you're going to get mercury poisoning you know so that's what we're talking about here so let's go into like how like, I love this, number one, because you um you discover something about yourself. And instead of just, woe is me, would be the term I would use, you really dive into this. You use your skill set that God has built up over your life, being a chef. And, you know, that whatever it is, this tenacity that you have towards life, and you decide that you're going to try to not just eat the normal vegan food that's out there. I mean, 10 years ago, I mean, we served vegan food and vegetarian food in the hospitals, and there's not a lot, not a lot of options. We had to create a lot of them on our own. Just to that's give right. everyone an example to have any diversity in the hospitals versus just buying a black bean patty all the time, or what I would call yep. the highly processed plant-based industry right now. It's very processed sure. food. Sure. Still, yep. we're not getting rid of processed food. It's while we may be getting one or one problem, we're creating another. You're right. So, you know, we have to be aware of whether it's vegan or it's anything else. Whole foods, natural foods, made with a diversity of ingredients, without all the preservatives and chemicals in it, is important. Okay. So you're I just you're spot wanna...
1: on. You're spot on with that.
0: Um, go ahead. No, no, go ahead.
1: Well, so so it's very it's very interesting because. A couple of things, you know, um, just going back to the, the cholesterol problem. Like, you know, people, when you think about this, it's just, it's a very fascinating thought that people would think taking prescription medications when you know, like with cholesterol in particular, when you know what the root cause of the problem is, right? So if you're taking a prescription medication to control that or to monitor it or kind of keep it stabilized... All you're doing is spending all this money month after month, and then usually when you, when you take these medications, you need something else because something else happens, and all of a sudden you're on two or three medications. But you're still putting the root of the problem in your body every single day. To me, that's almost like a, a crazy way of thinking. It's a cycle that's just it, – it doesn't have a lot, of, a lot of real thought behind it. it's insanity right it's it's insanity doing the same thing
0: over and over again expecting a different result but we're we're addressing the symptoms you know that's the weirdest part especially in medicine and pharmaceuticals we address the we address the symptom not the problem the problem always 100% of the time is the way we eat and drink and if we're drinking too much alcohol or putting too many drugs into our body that's this that's the problem guys like those are the problems the way we eat What is our lifestyle, alcohol and drugs related? You know, I don't drink either and I have in my life, but I will tell you my health and my body and my ability to function as an entrepreneur and be a highly functioning human has everything to do with not letting alcohol anywhere near my body. You know, I probably in my 20s, I didn't drink as a teenager. I was a soccer player, got into it in college, drank with my ex-wife because that's what we did. You know, we'd go out and that's how we'd have our friends in my 20s. And then once I got divorced, I probably had maybe 30 drinks in all of my 30s, and I haven't had any in my 40s. And like, congratulations. Yeah. And the thing is, it was more or less, I hated my lifestyle because of it. I hated the way I felt all the time. I hated the way of feeling like I was slower or my brain was slower. And that is exactly what happened. So, Anyone who knows what a hangover is, you know, you basically just poisoned your body. That hangover is a result of putting poison in your body. I know everyone, I'm not saying, you know, it's your choice whether what you do, but all I'm saying is there's a reason you feel that way. Right.
1: And, and that's the thing, you know, it's important for, for me to say as well, I don't judge anyone for anything they do regardless of what it is. Um, and in particular with drinking, if you drink that's your prerogative. I don't yeah, judge you for that. It's just, it's just not for me. I've never, same. never tasted alcohol, never tried drugs, or anything like that. That's just me. That's just my personal choice. But that doesn't mean that I'm better than you, or worse than you, or you're better exactly. than me, or worse than me. Doesn't mean any of that. It just means that's just my choice. If your choice is to drink, I don't judge you. I, I welcome you with open arms. It's just not for me. Okay? I agree so, with you.
0: And the world would be a, a much better place if we all just had tolerance for one another. We all get to make choices. Those just because. We all have different personalities. We like certain different things. We have different hobbies. We have different things. Doesn't mean we have different eating styles. We have different ways that we eat. Those are all personalities, okay? I don't think those are things that we need to get stuck in the weeds on or argue over or those choices that we make, you know, especially in the world that we live in. But the other thing is, is if we really lived by principles over personalities, we would align our principles with one. What are the core values? Are we raising our children well? Do we believe in a good education system? Do we believe in food that regenerates the planet? You know, do we believe in food that ultimately doesn't have bad things in it that causes humans negative consequences? Do we believe in beverages and things that 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 help? you know so it's not against anything or anyone's choices I think everyone should have a choice and I think everyone should be able to live the lifestyle that they want to live that is the freedom of choice that is free will and so everyone in the audience and as we're talking about this that is what life's about it's the freedom to make our choices it's the freedom to to not have authoritative governments to tell us what to do and what not to do it's the ability to make our own choices and be our own humans we have the power We have the power in the way that we eat and the way that we drink and the way that we do things. And it's up to the individual to create a lifestyle that brings them what they want. Maybe it does bring them, quote unquote, balance. I don't know balance in my own life, even with the things that I do, because I'm always pushing myself harder. I'm always uncomfortable. So with that being said, we're going to bring this episode to an end. We're going to break it into another part. Kendall's just going to jump right into the next part of the episode as we continue on to a part two. And the next episode, that'll release in two days. That is correct. We do every other day here. We've tried every day. There was a long period of time for about three months. We did do an episode a day. That was pretty hard. Pretty awesome at the same time. But now we're running four shows, so I appreciate everyone. If you like what you're hearing on the show, give it five stars. Give it the highest ratings possible on whatever syndication of podcasts you listen to. Give us a comment. The better the comments, the better the shows do. So I appreciate that. Thank you for all the five stars you guys are giving us on Spotify. I appreciate that. If you want to find this show or you want to find any of the other shows we do, you can find us on Spotify or wherever else you grow yourself through podcasts. You can type in my last name, B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O. You can find all four shows we do there. You can also find us on Instagram, at JustinTheFoodEntrepreneurs, or you can find me personally at JustinBizarro, B-I-Z-Z-A-R-R-O, and you can find me on Instagram, Facebook, and Reels. So, that being said, we're going to cut it right here. Love you guys. I appreciate everyone listening in. These entrepreneurs do this for free. They're doing it to spread the word, to give back, to pay forward. So, with that being said, love you guys, and we're out.